Let me start by praying for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that speaks powerfully to us. We thank you that you love us so much you sent your son Jesus into the world so that we might be made righteous and justified. We pray now as we consider uh, what it is Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 4 that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds and our hearts that this would not just be useful information but life-changing transformation that comes through your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, none of us can live our lives without faith in something. Whether we're uh, a, a, a Christian or an atheist or anything in between, we're all always putting our faith or our trust in all sorts of people, institutions and things. Take, for example, uh, your decision to go for a drive this afternoon. You're making a whole series, aren't you, of faith-based decisions. That is, you're, you're putting your trust in a whole bunch of people, trusting that the manufacturers who built your car did so in a way that was safe uh, and, and secure and that they followed all of their proper procedures. You haven't sort of scientifically verified that, uh, it, it, it's a faith-based decision. Trusting that your mechanic actually did fix the car properly last time he serviced it and so you're not going to break down. Trusting that the people who you go for the drive on the roads with are going to stay in their lanes and follow the road rules so that you don't have an accident. You're trusting that the supply chains are going to be working uh, in the ways that they should uh, and that you can get petrol. You're going to be trusting uh, in Lindisfarne, perhaps uh, a little bit unwisely, that the petrol station's putting the right petrol uh, in the right tanks so that you don't fill your car with diesel instead of petrol. You're going to be trusting the engineers who designed the roads so that you know you're not going to slip off the hill. There's all sorts of uh, ways that we are sort of making faith-based decisions, trusting in uh, the faithfulness of others that they have done what they are supposed to do in order for us to live the kind of lives we live today. Faith in people, faith in structures. And it is this idea of, uh, the, uh, of faith that Paul uh, really turns his attention to today and the place of faith uh, for the person who wants to follow God. And so we can see uh, that... Uh, it is vital for us as we uh, look at what Paul has to say. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that Paul has been building this foundation of the, the importance of faith for salvation over uh, the, the preceding three chapters. Without Jesus, we know that we are all sinful human beings under the wrath of God. And that doesn't matter whether we're full-on pagans murdering people, whether we're super religious and doing everything right, whether we're uh, socially appropriate on social media. All of us, the great equaliser, all of us are sinful. All of us fall short. All of us under the wrath of God. And all of us will face his wrath on judgment day, but for his 
gracious gift of salvation. Paul sums it up nicely in uh, chapter 3, verses 21 to 26. I'll read them to you again. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, or Jew and non-Jew, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and, are, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance He had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Salvation comes to all by faith in Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that is how we get salvation. We unpacked those verses in a little more detail last week and you can go back and have a look at that if you want to. But notice in verse 21 there that Paul says uh, that the law and the prophets testify to this true fact that it is not doing the right thing, it is not following the right rules that saves us, but rather it is faith in Jesus Christ uh, and faith in God's promises and his faithfulness. And so in chapter 4 today, we have Paul giving sort of the pinnacle Old Testament example of, of, of where God has actually shown his people that he saves us not based on works, but rather on faith and trust in, in him and his goodness and his faithfulness. Many in Paul's day, particularly in the Jewish community, ha had missed this idea. They, they believed that Abraham was saved because of what he did, because he chose to uh, offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. That was what saved him, showing... Uh, because he uh, uh, left his homeland, that was what saved him. These, because he got circumcised. But Paul here uh, in chapter 4 makes the argument of how, no, 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 all of those things were the fruit of what? His faith. And, and in doing this, Paul is uh, making a few important points that I want to bring out to us today as we uh, reflect on chapter 4. Firstly, he's uh, showing us that the Christian faith is a historical faith, that, uh, that God actually is the same yesterday, today and forever and his mechanics of salvation have been the same yesterday, today and forever. It wasn't that in the old days you got saved by works and in the new days you get saved by faith. No, God has always been a God interested in our faith in him. And then he goes on, so not only talk about the, the historic nature of faith, but also what the result of our faith is, the significance of faith, and obviously the object of faith in God himself. These are the things Paul talks about that I want us to bring out today. So firstly, history 
uh, the historicity of our faith, the, the continuity of Scripture, if you like, the fact that this uh, uh, mechanism of salvation is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Uh, kind of what it feels like I'm doing now is giving you uh, a sermon based on a sermon because that's what Paul's doing here in chapter 4, isn't it? He's appealing to the Scriptures and he's uh, expounding them to make a point to his audience, which is what I'm doing this morning. Paul goes to the story of Abraham, the, the father of, of, the, of the Jewish religion, to show that ever since God has uh, been interested in saving his people, he's been doing that through faith. He's been giving righteousness and justification to people through faith. And Paul uh, appeals to the whole gamut of the story of Abraham throughout this chapter, doesn't he? And perhaps you're not familiar with the story of Abraham. Paul's kind of assuming, because he's writing to a, particularly to his Jewish audience, some level of familiarity with the story. And let me encourage you to pick up Genesis 12, uh, which is the first book in the Bible, and read about the next 10-ish chapters as, as the story of Abraham unfolds. It'll help you have a better understanding of some of the things that Paul is talking about here in chapter 4 in Romans. But the story of Abraham begins with a promise of God to Abraham. And it recounts Abraham's response of faith. Genesis 12, the key passages in Scripture where God promises that Abraham will be made into a great nation, that he will be blessed, that his name will be great, that he'll be a blessing to others. He promises in chapter 13 that, 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 he will, that this land that Abraham's going to get will be the land of Cana, modern-day Israel. He promises to Abraham that he's, even in his old age he's going to have a child. And if you read Genesis 15, I just want to read you the first few verses of Genesis chapter 15, where we see the particular issue that Paul has in mind as he is expounding Romans chapter 4. Uh, Genesis 15, uh, Abraham receives the word of the Lord in a vision. And the Lord said, verse 1, Do not be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring spring be. Here is a promise that God gives to Abraham and Abraham verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. A key part of what Paul is talking about in chapter 4 as we'll see in a moment. And of course Genesis 17 continues the story, Abraham and Sarah have their son Isaac in, the, in their old age uh, and Genesis 22 a rather confronting story where Abraham is tested by God and asked to take his son to be sacrificed, yet Abraham continues to have faith that he would one day have 
his own flesh and blood offspring who would be as numerous as the stars. As Paul expounds on this biblical story and shows us the, the primacy of faith, which we'll come to in a moment, uh, he, he's also teaching us something else that's really important. See, so many people think that the Old Testament doesn't belong in Christianity. People think that the Old Testament's a God of wrath and the New Testament is a, a God of love and the two cannot be joined together. Well, of course, we'd want to say to them, have you read the first three chapters of Romans? The wrath of God is being revealed. No, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament are not different gods, are not uh, radically changed gods. In fact, the whole thing holds together. And Jesus and his salvation is actually most fully and properly understood with a right and proper understanding of the Old Testament. And the New Testament is actually full of scripture which, help, which, is, which is seeking to explain how Jesus actually fits into the Old Testament. And we did a series about a year or so ago called God's Big Picture where we, we tried to show the whole story of the Bible. Lest we think that we have a new faith or a faith with no historical connection, uh, we'd be wrong. The, the Bible from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, is a story of the one consistent God who calls his people to trust in him yesterday, today and forever to receive their salvation. So, what does this exposition of the Old Testament story of Abraham, of Genesis, of about 10 chapters of Genesis, uh, teach us today. Well, first we see the, that, that Paul is showing that God has always been a God who gives the gift of justification, that is, of making the unrighteous righteous, or of salvation, and probably a more of a layman's term to those who have faith, who, to those who trust him, who rely on the gift of righteousness. So, he talks about Abraham. Verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? And he quotes from uh, Genesis 15, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Not Abraham did stuff and it was credited to him as righteousness. No, Abraham believed. Not works, but faith. And it wasn't earned like we earn wages for doing work, Paul says in verse 4. He, he says, if, if that was the case, then God would be obliged to give us justification if somehow we could, we could earn it. But, but in fact, that's not the case at all. Rather, we trust God because of who he is and that in his goodness and in his love that he will justify us even in our sin and ungodliness. That's what Paul's talking about there in verse 5. And this idea of unmerited salvation, Paul says in verses 6 to 8, was also picked up by King David who says, uh, blessed is the one who has their sins forgiven. 
What's key is that Abraham's righteousness comes uh, after faith and it comes pre-circumcision. Paul says in verses 9 to 11 that this is good news indeed because it means that Abraham can indeed be the father of all. Abraham proves that God has never actually been interested in circumcision. We talked about this uh, about a week or so ago, that, that circumcision is an outward sign of an inward reality. Abraham was circumcised because he had faith, because he'd been made righteous through faith. Many in Paul's day wanted Abraham to be the great example of of works-based salvation, but Paul says, not at all. The Old Testament shows us clearly that Abraham is the father of all who have faith. Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. Verse 12, And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of, that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Faith before works. It was his trust or his faith in God that gave rise to what Abraham did. And of course, uh, what Paul doesn't really talk about here, but what is obvious if you read Genesis, uh, is that Abraham was a terrible sinner like you and me. Uh, If he was going for works-based salvation, he would fail. He constantly fails uh, to do the right thing. He, he goes from uh, place to place on his journey into the, to, to the land God has promised him and he, he gets scared all the time and he lies about who his wife is because he thinks that might cause uh, some issues. He, 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 he's not quite certain that uh, 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 God can actually do the things that he's promised and so he, he starts trying to do things in his own strength and he sleeps with his, uh, one of his slaves so that uh, she can give birth to, to a son. Abraham is a dirty, rotten sinner like you and me who struggles and falls short time and time again and yet he ultimately always comes back to trusting the faithfulness of God, that God will be faithful and God gives him the gift of justification. Works could never justify Abraham shows us that. It is only his faith. And so it is through faith, through trusting in who God is and his goodness, that we, we, we receive God's gift of righteousness or of salvation. Paul moves on now from verse 13 to start talking about how significant faith is because of, of what it achieves It is not through the law, verse 13, that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. 
Righteousness by faith. And because it came to Abraham by faith, it can come to anyone who has faith. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. This is always God's intention, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, not just the, the, the flesh and blood, but through all who have faith, because Abraham is the father of faith, of trusting in God and his goodness. Abraham is our father, Paul says in verse 17, in the sight of God, in him who, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Abraham is our father. He's the father of all who have faith. Not just those who have the law. Not just those who do the right thing. He's the father of all who realise they can't do it on their own and they need God's gracious gift. Trusting in God and his goodness and his grace, in his ability to restore us and give us life, even though we are dead in our sins. This is the life-changing message of the gospel, that you too can be made alive through faith, through trust in God. And it is God, isn't it, who is the object of our faith. When we believe God, when we trust in him, when we put our faith in him, we're throwing all our eggs into his basket. For God has demonstrated time and time again that he is faithful and nothing is impossible for him. This is the, the God who Abraham had faith in, isn't it? The God who we read at the end there of verse 17 gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And so Abraham in verse 18 uh, through 21 we read is able to trust God. Not perfectly, you and I don't do it perfectly either, but he's able to trust God even in the bleakest of circumstances. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. He trusted God. He knew there was nothing he could do to achieve the promises that God had given. But because he knew who God was, he was able to trust him, even in what appeared to be a humanly impossible situation. The fact that his body was as good as dead, that he was, like, really old, and that his wife Sarah's womb was also dead because she was really old. And yet, he did not waver but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. When our faith is in God, it is in the one whom creates and brings back life from death. It is in the God who brings hope to the hopeless, 
Abraham's situation was pretty dire and yet God was faithful. Our situation is pretty dire. You and I facing the wrath of God and yet God gives us the gift of life. Romans 4.23 The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. God will credit us Christ's righteousness, Christ's salvation, if we trust that he has done the right thing. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're putting our faith in the fact that God is God. That his plan for salvation will work. That he is faithful. That, uh, that when he says that his son has paid the price for our sins, that he really has. And that there is nothing we can add by works to that salvation. Jesus has died to pay the price for our sin and he was raised to life by God to show that the price is paid and that the gift of justification, of salvation, is available for all who trust in the faithfulness of Christ. It's like when we go for a drive, like I was talking about before, we... We're trusting in the, in the faithfulness of others to their, to their mission. So it is with us and our faith for salvation. When we seek our salvation, we, we trust in Jesus and the, his faithfulness to his mission and his faithfulness to who he is and what he has achieved for us. Or... Wherever you find yourself today, uh, let me encourage you that this news of, of a righteousness that comes through faith is the best news you'll ever hear. Your life might be going quite well. I suspect for many of us, COVID-19 has really messed things up. But in the face of difficulty, in, in the direst of circumstances, Against all hope, verse 18, Abraham believed, and so we can too. If you've committed some sort of heinous sin that you're too embarrassed to even mention in public, against all hope, Abraham believed, and you can too. When all hope is lost, remember that God is the one who makes dead things come to life. There's no possible way God could accept me. Absolutely. But he'll accept you through Christ. He loves you and he wants you to trust him. Whatever is going on for you right now, 
whether you're in the good times or the bad times, but especially if you're in the bad times, nothing will ever put your salvation in jeopardy because that is achieved through God's faithfulness and our trust in that. So no matter your situation, keep trusting God because against all hope, he will be faithful. And he has promised to credit each one of us the free gift of righteousness to all who believe. God is faithful. May I encourage you today to put your faith in his faithfulness and receive the gift of salvation. Mm -hmm.